Welcome to Behind the Curtain, L.A. Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Hi, my name is Stacy Brightman, and I'm the Vice President for Education and Community Engagement at L.A. Opera. And it's my extreme pleasure today to have a conversation with two artists that we esteem and whose opera Moses we will be offering as a world premiere opera shortly in a, in a few days at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Angels. Our annual cathedral opera is now going into its 13th season, and it was really uh, the vision and the great idea of our music director, Maestro James Conlon, when he first came to Los Angeles Opera in 2006 and seven, and he was so eager to be able to work with our community. And he was very inspired by Benjamin Britten's opera, Noise Flood. And he said, let's do Noise Flood. Let's, let's welcome people into the opera house uh, by allowing them to perform opera with us. And in that first year, we reached out to the Cathedral of Our Lady of Angels, and they immediately said, of course, why not? Let's do this. And similarly, over the years, we have been able to invite in with the help of the cathedral, uh, about uh, 18, 19 different organizations that will be performing alongside us this season, many of them coming back season after season after season, uh, more than about 100 individual performers as part of the community ensemble. And again, an extraordinary company of several hundred people who will be performing this at the cathedral. Again, this is the 13th season of us doing it. Uh, tickets are completely free of charge. In a typical year, we get about 5,500, somewhere bumping up close to 6,000 audience members that come per year. We're, we're very conservatively thinking that over the past 12 years, we've already performed to about 65,000 people. And we have done that with a beautiful repertoire of operas that are made to engage community members to perform alongside our professionals. So, of course, we've done Noise Flood several times. We have done Judas Maccabeus. We have done the festival play of Daniel, and this will be our second world premiere. We have offered very proudly a world premiere, Jonah by Jack Perla and Valina Hasu Houston, and now Moses by Shashir Karoop, our librettist, and by Henry Mullicone, our composer. So it's a delight to be here today with you, gentlemen. Thank you. And I have Henry by phone. Thank you. So nice to be here with you, Stacy. Thank you. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about the world premiere. You and Henry Mullicone have a world premiere opera next week, opening on March 22nd and 23rd at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Angels that LA Opera is thrilled to be producing. Could I find out from you, tell me a little bit about how you first came to opera? Well, actually, it started with my interest in the voice. And I got interested in the voice kind of a funny story. My first high school girlfriend was a soprano. And in those days, you know, people were very much more restrictive about the time young people spent together. So I wrote music for her so that we could get more time to rehearse, which meant I get to see her. So, <laughs> it came out so of love. Of, it was love. Well, it did, or infatuation at least. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so I got to love the voice, know the voice. Then when I went to school at New England Conservatory, I uh, became a pianist for the opera department. 
and got to spend more time learning about the voice. But the real training came for me when I was at New York City Opera. That was my real training. I was up around opera six days a week, playing the piano, coaching, giving backstage cues, doing everything one could in opera. And when I got out of there, I think I really kind of learned how to write for the voice, which is why I think I've had that opportunity, which is wonderful. And at the same time, by the way, Maestro Carmen was studying at the Juilliard School of Music, which was in Lincoln Center, about, oh, I don't know, a couple of hundred feet away from New York City Opera. I was told that he was going to be conducting La Boheme and that he was extraordinary. He was a student. So I said, well, I've got to go see that. So I went and I was blown away. And I said, you know, this man is going to be a great conductor. Yeah. So I saw him that many years ago. And then when, you know, so many years later, I won't tell you how many, uh, he came back into my life with this project. I said, oh, my God, this is wonderful. This Aww. is a wonderful. Con- I, I know his recordings. You know, I know about him. And I just feel that it's an extraordinary opportunity to work with a great maestro like this. Thanks for being with me today, Shashir. Tell me a little bit about how you first came to opera. I think... <laughs> how did you fall in? Did you fall in love with opera? When did you go to your first opera? What is this uh, thing called opera? I fell in love with Bugs Bunny. Um, and I, there's a very famous episode uh, where uh, Bugs is playing the banjo and and down the street somewhere or down the the hill is a real opera singer singing. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody has seen this episode and it's very, very funny. And he, he drives the opera guy crazy. And then it's the first time I've heard, I heard the word Leopold for Stokowski, obviously. And so that I use that as a sort of a way to get into the notion of like how I got into opera. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, we owe so much to Bugs Bunny. We absolutely and Mel Blanc. Let's yes, not forget yes, Mel indeed. was a genius. Yes, he was. Um, so, um, yeah, and that I mean, in a way, I just like any teenager, you ha- sort of do the fake opera stuff, for, you know, to play around with. But in time, I think really what brought me to opera is you. And and actually, um, these uh, opportunities to write librettos for the last couple of pieces that we've But done. interestingly, music had always infused your work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, when when we try to describe to somebody, well, what what is opera? Essentially, it's a story told with music. Mm-hmm. So you've always, uh, you know. delved into and so much of your work has been uh, music based or music infused yeah and it's because and part of it is also the fact that joining Cornerstone Theatre Company over 25 years ago now one of the things I did is I always wrote when I did write, I would write and direct and then sometimes I would also write the songs so at some point I became the songwriter of the piece of the pieces too that we did well, and I think uh, I know that some of us here at LA Opera have seen your work, and it was uh, eminently lyrical. Mm. Uh, you are a natural. Well, I, I shouldn't say natural. I'm sure you're trained. You're trained as a poet, as a theatrical poet, mm. and Thank uh, you. and so we. I think we thought, it, you know, it, you clearly were. Uh, just a few inches away from the idea of a librettist <laughs> for an opera right, and, right. and to continue that through. So, Henry, um, talk to me about the themes. What attracted you to the story? The magic. I was told uh, that the cathedral is such a large space, and in order to make it uh, make sense to the audience, 
you have to use big gestures. It's a 3,000 seat house. So I thought the story of Moses, you know, has miracles. It has parting the Red Sea. It has uh, the plagues. So many opportunities for big gestures, wonderful theatrical moments. So I thought this is the this is the story I'd like to do. And some of the relevance of it to today. I know that that was that we had some extensive conversations. Uh, you, Shashir, and uh, and myself. Well, I was very excited because it. Um, made allusions to refugees, and I hope the audience makes the connection that this is the big one of the biggest problems uh, in our country and in the world. And to me, the idea of people being put on the planet and no place to go and to live is horrendous, especially the young children. So I think this is a major issue in any way we can bring it up. And thank you to Shear for making connection to modern-day refugees in the opera, so it would be pretty clear that, you know, this opera really reflects early refugees and is also about modern crises in refugees today. Yeah. So I'm very happy about that. So how did you come to this story? I asked, uh, Henry's also uh, spoken about this, but what about the Moses story attracted you? Um, for me, it, it was the the iconic nature of that story, and it, it sort of ha- you know you can find these stories. This particular uh, what what does Marvel call it now? Uh, or origin story um, it, it, that you know there are a number of stories from all over the world that have this very particular these set of circumstances. You know where. A child is sent down a river in a basket, and it goes from India to 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 world around the world, right? And somebody else finds the child and raises the child, not unlike Arthur or any of the other, you know, great kings. And kind all of adopted of the adopted superhero. Yes, exactly. Clark Kent. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that yes, exactly, and, and that Superman is exactly that too, right? So, for me. That made a lot of sense because, first of all, the saturation of color on the Ten Commandments is like something that you'll never forget, right? So that kind of stuff that happens on in April of every year, you just realize, well, if you're going to write something, write something that, that people can connect to, even though it may not be that story, you know, or, or this story, where it comes from. But the, the notion that this is an iconic story and that it it means a lot of... It, it, it has a great deal of effect on people's lives and how they, uh, how they tell their stories. So one of the other things is that when Henry and I were talking about it, you know, we did, we did talk about the notion of refugees. And, that was a, and that's a big, I mean, part of that story. So we thought, wow, this is really exciting. There's, there's so many things that, that other, many cultures sort of actually share with this piece. And also, it's a great story. Let's talk a little bit more about the character of Moses. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, I know, as part of the, the long development process of the opera, I know you really steeped yourself in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and you were reading different um, resources and sources of interpretation. Um, I love this kind of Joseph Campbell arc of the hero mm-hmm. that you you really have 
us experience with Moses. I don't know if that's something that you can speak about a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I also come out at the time where, where when Joseph Campbell, toward the end of his life, was so prominent with the stories of myth, although that six volume set. And I remember devouring it and um, just literally like constantly listening to it, seeing it as much as I could. And I felt, you know, a kind of imprint happening uh, on me from from his words and what he was what he was talking to uh, Bill Moyers about and all of that. You know, it, it, it was it was a really wonderful sort of like teaching. Like I, I grew up with the stories of the Mahabharata or the Ramayana. I remember sitting there with my neighbors. This is when I lived in Kenya uh, in, in Mombasa as a child. And they would be singing those stories in their language called Gujarati. And I understood Gujarati. I spoke Swahili at the time, and I spoke a bit of my own language, which was the least that I, I barely could speak my language, but I could speak theirs because that's how you you know all you, all my friends were Gujarati. So I would sit there and listen to those uh, songs, and they were telling the story, you know. So you learn the language, and you also learn the story itself. And then you find out, oh, this story, as you start, then you branch out into reading King Arthur you, or other people, you know, and, and you find that the story is all over the world. And how did it, how did that become this iconic particular kind of story? Right. And that's really fascinating. That's a whole other fascination I have, how that traveled around the world, yeah. you know, and where did it come from? And why is it so, you know, uh, it, it completely saturated the world? So... One guy is called Moses, another guy can be called Karna, one other guy can be called so many different things. So it's, it's, it's that, you know, and, and, and so I ultimately, I think it's, it's something that is somehow deeply rooted in our consciousness and our subconsciousness. So I think it's the people, even if they, maybe somebody's never seen uh, the Ten Commandments, maybe they've never heard of Moses, but maybe they have somebody from their own culture that sort of, apes or mimics that same 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 storyline. Could you talk to me a little bit about some of the musical I don't want to say st- well styles, musical styles, some of the some of the voice, some of the orchestral voice that you use. Uh, I know for instance the piece includes uh, dance music, there's a wedding scene, there is uh, uh, you know some some really interesting tones if you will. Well, uh my style has been uh, an eclectic one, me. I, I'm a man that likes melody and the voice. And, you know, it, it wasn't me to write in the style of Schoenberg or any of the later composers. I never dreamed, I don't think anyone did, that tonality would come back. And it's okay to write melodies. And now we've developed a style that includes everything that the composer wants, a very eclectic universe the composer has to choose from. So my style as a result is one that uses various uh, influences. Um, I say that my music often is influenced by the three Bs of modern music, which are Britton, Bernstein, and Barber, Samuel Barber, of course. So all of those people have influenced my music, I think. So in short, I had fun doing this, and I think it you know, uh, can't wait to see it and hear it. Let me just add a comment. I don't know if I've ever told you, Stacey, but the idea of bringing together so many people from the community and, you know, 
from 80 to, to 8, as you once said, years of age, is very exciting to me because it just represents such a big donation to the community and a big picture. And I love that idea. I just really do. I don't necessarily like always to write for, well, let me, for lack of a better word, call it an elite audience, one who really knows opera. I, it's interesting to write a piece for everybody and to try to make that piece acceptable and sensible to their ears and their eyes when they see it. So that to me is a very exciting challenge, which I've never had before. And it's a giant uh, sprawling, I don't know that you've used this word yet, epic. Mm. So how on earth do you take an epic and bring it down to, say, 55 minutes? What kind of choices did you have to make for that? Well, first of all, I was terrified because this woman named Stacy Brightman said it has to be an hour long. <laughs> so um, I, if I... Um, I, I, maybe I'll talk to her one of these days. But uh, <laughs> no, it, you know, I think it's great. Parameters mm -hmm. are really helpful. At the same time, you perhaps come with a, a more cleaner and clearer yeah. piece, and especially with something that is sung throughout, right? I mean, you might have to make it understandable really quickly. I know that we project the, the lyrics on the, uh, on, on the wall, yeah. so that's helpful. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's, it's, it's important to be able to be succinct also within that framework. So Great. So Henry, let's go back and talk a little bit about the origins of this story and how did you and Shashir work together to tackle this, this massive story? Well, uh, like most of the brothers I've worked with, we worked on the telephone because we are not in the same city. And I had never met him while we were working. Um, which is always a, an interesting, you know, uh, dynamic because we got to be quite friendly on the phone and we chatted and talked about what needs to be cut and that sort of thing until he got it down to a reasonable length. And I thought he did a wonderful job. I thought this has all of the elements in the story of Moses, which we need. And, uh, you know, it's not a five hour opera as it would have been if we had used the original libretto, because, you know, he pretty much did the whole story. So we decided this is so long, you know, it's going to come out much too long. So he cut it down to the essential elements and made it work within the context of about an hour, which I thought was great. So after that, I went to work on the music and, you know, I think I asked him for a few changes and revisions and that sort of thing. Well, I, I will say I, uh, I love uh, a, a, the structure that emerged and, you know, speaking about the hero mm -hmm. and uh, not to give away too many things about uh, your beautiful libretto, but I think, we, you know, there's a, a, a gorgeous opening scene where you see the enslavement of, of the, the, um, the people of the Israelites and, and, the, and the basket with the baby Moses uh, mm -hmm. being sent down the river. Um, but then we rapidly cut to a young adult Moses. Yeah. And there's a moment where he has to step up and face, uh, a, a, you know, protect a slave. And then there's a moment later where he has to step up and protect a group of sisters. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he has to face 
the alt, you know, well, he has to face not the the penultimate power, which is Ramses, mm -hmm. the Pharaoh, right. in defending a people. Right. And uh, there's an interest the the final moment, which is you know true to the biblical text, the big the final face off. I, I, do you want to share with us what the final face off is in terms of? You yes, know, the big one, <laughs> the, the the Yahweh of it exactly. all. Yes, yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's that's when he he's about to go through the trial of fire in a way, you know, and the way it's depicted in the film, you know, he comes back with white hair. I mean, he's like completely been transformed on some level, not just some level. I would say worldwide, the graying of hair and the whiteness of hair at a certain age allows you to have that place in your community that is the sage, the one who has now been through a, a trial of fire, come through on the other side, and is somebody who's able to have that wizened sense of self. And again, the, the final confrontation being with the, you know, the divine. The divine. With the divine. Yeah. And, and somehow becoming... Divine themselves. Divine, yeah, transformed, as you said, divine or uh, otherworldly or different, right. you know, right. uh, changed forever. Right, changed, changed forever. forever. And now has the ability to, you know, the, the deeper story of Moses is some of his insecurities. There was this, you know, and we, we didn't fill it with that. We just touched upon those a little bit. But it has to do with the fact that, you know, there was this notion that he stuttered. And he had he had challenges, and sometimes he did things that were he went down the wrong path. But ultimately, it's what we all go through. We take roads that sometimes lead us not in the best possible uh, sort of way for us to comport ourselves. So he does that. He goes through those. He he fights people. He beats them down, and in some cases, maybe kills them if if that happens. I think you learn from all of those misdeeds or and then you also have this other part of good stuff that you've done. You've, you, you, you start realizing that you are now a, a person who has to have even more sense of presence where you can talk about your experience as a way to teach other people what they may need to learn in time. Yeah. And that's what leadership is about. Absolutely. What would your hopes or aspirations for the uh, for this piece be? My hope for this project is that the audience relates to it and that it has meaning for them, because I know that some of the people who deal with them may not be necessarily opera fans, um, but I wanted to speak to them in a way that you know makes makes a lot of sense. That's my great hope for this piece. In short. Because it's not just an opera written for uh, for professionals to perform, but it's an opera written for uh, an, a, a sea of people, of, people. Of, of community members who are right. going to be performing alongside. Well, that's something I'm very, very used to. I mean, as, as, as one of the things about Cornerstone, as we've talked about, is that, you know, we worked with communities. And that's the major aspect of what Cornerstone's existence has been about. So there is that thing that happens within within this culture where at first they're like excited then they then they go into the grind of it and then they come out of it and go wow that was a, that was like really weird for a while but now I'm so happy you know mm -hmm. so it's a because it's just not their world yeah they're well you know what I'm going to actually you make me think about you know we were just talking about that final scene of the opera in which in one sense you know Moses really has to 
confront the divine, mm-hmm. conf- confront Yahweh when Yahweh right. is upset about the golden calf uh, right. being, you know, and he's ready to say, I'm done with you. Right. And uh, the way you've, you've, you've written it, you know, Moses essentially says, let it be me. Stri- yeah. Strike me. Strike yeah. me. And, uh, and, and you spoke about kind of the, that transformation of what happens when you sort of grapple with the divine. Mm-hmm. You're never, you're never quite the same. Right. And I, I think there's something similar with the art, with this whole process, with this opera, we are grappling, when we're grappling with art, mm. you're never the same. Yes. You come out changed, hopefully not with white hair, but you know, but you are transformed by it and yeah. um, you've, it's, it's gone inside of you in some, some mm-hmm. way. Right. That's the iconography of the piece, right? Uh, th- and th- that's what I mean by that particular kind of story somehow really permeates the soul and it allows us to kind of connect with that spirit of that transformation. I have to ask, do you have a favorite moment in the opera? Well, being a man who loves melody, I think my favorite moment in the opera would have to be the scene, uh, the wedding scene. I would say that would probably be my favorite moment. Uh, Although, you know, there are other scenes that uh, are close to that, but that's the most melodic. And I think that's where I got my best melody in the piece. (laughs) I mean, I love the voice, Stacey. And the voice to me cries out for melody. You know, the best vocal settings are melodic. And if they're not, they just don't, they're, they're much more difficult for the singer if you're writing a very difficult idiom. So I like melodic music. And I've been told that having been using these styles over the years, eventually the music sort of becomes your own style. And I can't hear that, but other people say they can. And I certainly hope it, it has. But again, that's probably my favorite moment is the wedding scene. Um, I do. I think I love. I, I I like and or very much enjoyed when when he has to save the sisters, and you know all of this. That's where it gets a little bit lighter in some places, you know, because it's not that it's not. I don't think it's very dark, but at the same time, I think it is a strong story. It has it has it has things that are like, you know, that can be a little bit it's a little scary here and there, but. And we need a little bit of scary in, in any story we tell, you know, as part of a journey, right? But the frolic part of it feels really interesting when he's, when he, when he, and, and it's, it's kind of a little bit of a respite because, I mean, he's taught, he's walking through this huge desert by himself and he's alone and it's, he's, he doesn't know, you know, if he's going to make it, he's, he, he's scared. He's, you know, all of that stuff, you're going through the dark forest and 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 then try coming out on the other end of it, right? And and that's when you, for me, that's what it felt like—that little bit of that frolic, you know. So, I just want to say on behalf of LA Opera and the giant community that is come together to produce and share this beautiful world premiere opera of Moses. I want to thank thank you, Henry. Thank you, Shashir. It's a gorgeous work of art. And I don't know if I told you this yet, but we've really been tallying our, our fingers and toes and counting heads. And it looks to be a, a company of uh, at least 450 performers. Oh, my God. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's and, crazy. Wow. 
and we're going to make you proud. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for the, this gorgeous gift. And, wow. uh, and I'm also grateful to all of our, our community members and, and all of our colleagues and organizations that have, that have made this possible. So I know that this is going to be wonderful knowing these voices and knowing the conductor. And I just can't wait to get down there. And thank you, Stacy, because of you wanting to reach more people. And I know that this is also your uh, Placido Domingo's um, desire is to reach more people to bring them to the world of opera. Thank you. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thanks, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.